Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com/fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com/fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. The O'Henry peach. It's been popular since its introduction back in 1968. It's a sweet, juicy, long-lasting, easy peach tree to grow. It's a perfect candidate for today's fabulous fruit Friday. Fruit tree expert Ed Livo of tomorrowsharvest.com tells us all about it. Plus, Ed has step-by-step instructions for reducing the height of an overgrown fruit tree taking it down to a more manageable 6 or 7 feet tall. A frequent question new gardeners have, which way should I position my fruit trees or my raised beds, north to south or east to west? That's a good question. Our favorite retired college horticultural professor Debbie Flower has some ideas on that. Plus, this is the time to be thinning the fruit from your deciduous fruit trees while that fruit is still really small. The advantages of removing fruits so that there's 6 inches of space between the remaining pieces of fruit include bigger, healthier fruit and fewer broken branches this summer. It's all on episode 96 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you by SmartPots and TomorrowsHarvest.com, and we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. It's fabulous Fruit Friday, which means we get to talk with Ed Livo of Tomorrow's Harvest, a division of Birchall Nursery. My wife and I were talking about the peach that you're bringing up. for today's edition of Fabulous Fruit Friday and we both thought, "Oh yeah, that's an old-time peach." Turns out <laughs> it's not that old. I'm surprised. It sure sounds like it has an old name. It's the O'Henry peach. Well, you know what, Fred? The O'Henry peach has been around for a long time and because it became so popular so quickly after its introduction in 1968, it really seems like it's been around for a long long time and maybe you both have this taste for old-fashioned peaches because if i were to tell you anything about the flavor of an old henry peach i would tell you that it has all the attributes of what we would consider a classic peach definitely you know just rich wonderful smooth texture very sweet with just the slightest hint of acidity and it is a freestone peach correct yes yeah it's freestone it um it has an interesting lineage there was a very prolific breeder uh, that was up in the red bluff area in california probably through the uh, early 1900s into the mid 1900s and uh, that was grant merrill and he introduced many many varieties of peaches and nectarines this particular one came to uh, birchall nursery through grant merrill then was um, introduced to the market through birchall nursery it became a commercial success overnight it was probably almost in every grocery store for a while it was in every farmers market that existed at the time you know probably more auctions at the time than farmers markets but you found it everywhere um just because it had so many of the qualities that a really wonderful 
peach should have and all the attributes that the commercial growers were looking for. Firmness uh, could be transported, a good long shelf life, and plus could be picked firm with great flavor. So it just really caught on with the commercial growers and the farmer's market growers very quickly. Yeah, you mentioned this Grant Merrill guy, and man, oh man, is he responsible for a lot of peaches. I counted something like 25 varieties of peaches that have his name on it, like yes. Merrill Bonanza. And I think, isn't the Merrill Bonanza part of the lineage of the yeah. O'Henry? Correct, it is. It's one of the parents. Um, I, I don't, and actually, the Merrill Bonanza and a nectarine. Hmm. And the O'Henry peach, uh, as you mentioned, was uh, introduced what just a, a little over fifty years ago, and it, it 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 took off. It was popular, and it's very popular uh, in grilling as well. I think that's something that I wish more people took advantage of is grilling fresh fruit. Yeah, and the O'Henry definitely falls into that uh, that classification simply because when it's nice and firm and you slice it and put it on the grill, the grill kind of takes all the moisture out of it and concentrates the sugar and the flavor. And, and I'm sure you've grilled peaches, right? Oh, yeah. It's easy. It's a medium heat, three minutes aside, and you take it off and it's like eating a peach pie or an it apple is. pie. It, it is. It's tremendous. The uh, I, I think the O'Henry is probably one of the best for doing that with as well. O'Henry is good for everything, and it has a long, long hang time. And so... You know, this is a this is a peach that'll hang on the tree from and be able to be picked from firm ripe, okay, where it's nice and sweet, kind of has that little bit of a snap crunch to the fruit, uh, to the skin, and that at the same time a nice smooth texture with a great wonderful sweetness and uh, that little bit of acidity that comes through, and that's probably you know a hint of that nectarine coming through, and then it just keeps getting you know, smoother and smoother around the tree until it's just syrupy sweet and juice running down your arms and, you know, that kind of classic peach experience that, you know, everybody just loves to have and then regrets after they're done and have to clean up. <laughs> the O'Henry peach, it's also good for canning, baking and making preserves as well. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's good for everything that you would do with a classic peach. And so, you know, or even a cling for that matter. The O'Henry peach. Check it out. Go to tomorrowsharvest.com and check out the details about the O'Henry peach. Today's delicious piece of fruit on Fabulous Fruit Friday. Well, we've come to that segment of the program where people are asking Ed questions. We call it Ask Ed because why not? And several people have written in with basically the same question. They love the idea of keeping fruit trees small, but unfortunately, their deciduous fruit trees have been around a while. So they're 12 feet, 15 feet, 20 feet tall. And they're wondering how they can take those trees back to a more workable six or seven feet tall. It's a combination of both winter and summer pruning. And, um, and I've done this many, many, many times. First off, in the spring, you, you can do this and actually keep the fruit tree producing as well. The first year that you go in and prune is going to be the biggest cut. So you take back about a third of the total canopy the first spring, bring it down. Then you let it flush. And then about midsummer, you come back to where that cut, where you made that cut, and you cut it off completely. Just top it. It's just going to make a big mess at the top of your tree, but don't worry about that, okay? Because it's also pushing buds lower, and it's also stimulating buds down below those cuts. 
then the next um, fall um, or next winter, you'll come in and you'll cut it down another third. Again, in the spring, you'll get this flush. Okay. Then you'll come back in after, say, by by the late uh, spring, and you'll cut that flush back all the way to where you cut it that winter. Okay. Now, your next year, you have to determine how tall do you want it because if you cut it back a third next year, of course, you end up with a pretty dang short tree. So, you know, by that time, if you're bringing it down roughly about a third, you're probably down right around six, seven feet on the third season. And I guess for most fruit trees being maybe 15, 20, 25 feet tall, if you have a, a pole pruner, this might be doable while you're standing on the ground. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, because you're really not trying to do this in any kind of real artistic fashion. This is actually just butcher pruning. You're cutting this thing, you're cutting this thing down, cutting this thing down, trying to get it down to size without losing the ability of the tree to push new growth. So every time you prune it in the summertime and you whack back that, that, that spring flush, you're actually stimulating buds down below that cut that you made in the wintertime so that they'll be there and they'll be the place you're cutting down to next and they'll stimulate you know, and push the next spring. So that, that's really what you're doing and that's why you're graduating it down like that. And then it just comes to the point where, okay, how much do you want to leave? And uh, as you like to say, Ed, just keep it as tall as you can reach. Yeah, yeah, as tall. I I, I tend to have um, uh, my trees, all my trees are as tall as I stand with my hands extended above my head. Yep, because anything above that, if you can't stand on the ground and pick the fruit, everything else is for the birds. Right. And I think that, you know, there'll be a group, you know, there'll be a whole bunch of people that'll say, but wait a minute, I have deer problems. Well, you know, I've actually looked at caging fruit trees years ago. We've, we did a lot of experiments with actually just caging fruit trees, keeping them nice and low. And then, you know, say to six foot, then creating a circular cage around your fruit tree and then just allowing the deer to come up and eat the, eat the outsides, anything that grows outside the cage. They, they actually, develop and promote the fruiting wood inside your your pen and you can make the circle as you know as wide as you want around your fruit tree so that, that was a simple way of of keeping deer out keeping the trees low but at the same time having the deer come in and work for you by um nibbling the sides and keeping the the tree in check and then you just leave one end open so that we're well, not one op- end open but you just I, I would use bailing wire and just bail wire one where the two ends come together and then whenever i wanted to get into the tree just take the bailing wire back get inside do my work do my picking whatever then bail wire it back there you go deer proof your fruit trees the easy way and yeah. still have plenty of fruit for yourself yeah yeah and have a reasonable sized tree as well exactly so in Total, it would take probably two to three seasons to take a overgrown fruit tree uh, down to, uh, we'll call it backyard orchard culture size. Yeah, yeah, but it's two it's two seasons, and the third season you decide what height you're going to maintain it at, and now you start to get particular about you know, what limbs you're leaving and you start to look at, you know, you might take a pruning class at that point because now your tree is down to a really reasonable size and you would get what I always call crow's feet at the top of every one of these cuts where you have a number of different branches all breaking at one time in one space. Now, 
that third season, you're going to come in, want to come in and look at which which of these groups of branches do you want to keep and promote and then maintain those um, and, and keep those in check and eliminate everything else. And then you go into opening the center of your tree at that time and making sure you got plenty of light and air movement going through your tree and and watching where your fruit set is so that, you know, you know, you're promoting your fruit set down lower in your canopy as well. So, so that would be your thinning cuts then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your thinning cuts, right? Yeah, heading cuts are what you're using during the the development period, where the reconstruction period. Yeah, we we done that uh, uh, a number of times, you know, I, I, a number of times, a lot of times, because typically that would be the big problem. Oh my gosh, you know, I just listened to your lecture, and my trees are you know, twelve to fifteen feet tall, and what do I do? Um, the first house I moved into in Modesto. Um, had an apricot tree that separated my neighbor and I, and the apricot tree was rust- roughly about 12 feet tall. And it was a wonderful apricot tree, but it hung way over into my yard. And my neighbor came over and said, he was a wonderful, he's one of my closest friends now. He came over and said, listen, you know, I understand the tree. I'm going to cut it down. I said, like, ducks you are. <laughs> <laughs> I said, we're going to just bring the tree down. And we had, we, we had, um, now, when you said that you meant to bring the tree down in size. Yeah. We're going to bring the tree down. I said, we're going to bring the tree down so that I can enjoy this side of the tree and you can enjoy your side like you always have. And it took me two seasons and I brought the whole apricot down. These, we had eight foot fences separating our yards in Modesto. So the tree's canopy actually came right over the top of the fence. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful tree. And it produced all kinds of grapefruit, and we maintained it there for, for I, you know, for all I know, it's still there. There you go. It just yeah. you and your saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you know, I like to prune. <laughs> no, but I, I think for most people, especially if uh, they're not adept at, at especially uh, pruning trees, is to keep your feet firmly on the ground. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, mean it when you start getting up in the ladders and stuff like that. I mean, that becomes dangerous. And yes. Yeah, and and on on top of that, I mean, it, it, do you need it that tall? I mean, there is some people who would need it that tall. They would say, "I'm canning, and I have to can you know hundreds of bottles of you know peaches a year, and so I really am looking for the biggest tree possible." Well, that's fine, but most people barely off of a typical peach tree could barely eat. 20 to 50 pieces of fruit off of the entire fruit uh, off of the entire tree in an average season. So, you know, why have a tree that produces 500? Yeah. And by having a smaller tree, that means you have room for more trees of the same height. Yeah, that and probably the most important thing going into these drier periods that we're, you know, of course, experiencing. Keep in mind that when you're keeping these trees shorter, they're using less water. Good point. And mulching, too. Mulching's tremendously important. That's that's uh, should be a mandate in California home gardening. On Fabulous Fruit Friday, we've heard about the O. Henry peach and good advice from Ed Livo as well about bringing down an overgrown fruit tree to a more manageable height, maybe six or seven feet tall. And yes, you can do it. Ed Livo, tomorrowsharvest.com is the website, a division of Birchall Nurseries. Ed, thanks for another Fabulous Fruit Friday. My pleasure, Fred, and uh, we'll come up with something interesting for our next visit. 
SmartPots are the original award-winning fabric planter. They're sold worldwide. SmartPots are proudly made 100% in the USA. SmartPots are also BPA-free. There's no risk of chemicals leaching into the soil, your herbs, vegetables, and other edibles. That's why organic growers prefer SmartPots. SmartPots breathable fabric creates a healthy root structure for plants. Smart pots come in a wide array of sizes and they can be reused year after year. If a frost or freeze is in the forecast, moving your frost tender plants that are in the smart pots that have handles makes them even easier to move closer to the house for added warmth or you could even move them inside. Visit smartpots.com/fred for more information about the complete line of smart pots lightweight fabric containers. It's Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com/fred for more info and that special farmer fred discount on your next smart pot purchase. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. We answer your garden questions here on the Garden Basics podcast. We like to bring in our favorite retired college horticultural professor, Debbie Flower, to help us out on these. You can get questions to us in a myriad of ways. Uh, maybe you want to hear your voice. Well, you could give us a call at 916-292-8964. That's 916-292-8964. You could text your message and picture that way as well email sure send it to fred at farmerfred.com so debbie let's uh, tackle this uh, email question from richard in southwest utah zone 8a he points out who says i'm going to plant some stone fruit trees in my garden this week doubling them up as has been suggested on your show and keep them pruned to less than seven feet tall our summers here in southwest utah are similar to las vegas but about five degrees cooler the trees will have full sun all day long. The question is, should I plant the trees north, south, or east, west, or does it really not make a difference? And the shorter you want to keep them, the more work you're going to have to do in pruning. Just keep that in mind. It's not going to just happen on its own. You no, but, but at least you won't be on a ladder. So, so there's that. You're right. Uh, right. No, that's very that that's very true. It's just something that you have to... You have to keep in mind there there is continuous uh, maintenance to be done. Yeah, but actually, it, it's not all that much work. If you if you don't let your trees get any taller than you can reach from the ground, then you can just head head them back. And truly, I know you're not going to agree with this, but head it back when you're thinning the fruit, and then again later in the summer when you're harvesting the fruit, and just prune it back those branches, and you could I guess prune it back to a crossing branch to no more than you can extend with a pair of shears in your hand. Right. No, I agree with that. Okay. It's, it, it, the, the heading back has been very hard for me to do because I have so much training in thinning pruning. But so I've had to adjust and it, it has been very hard for me, but I'm getting there. Okay. All right. Thinning is where you're taking a branch back to a crossing branch and intersection with another branch and heading just means chopping it basically right at at a random location and so yeah. uh you just stand there as you say with the pruning shears in your hand and whatever you can reach and i actually go a little bit lower than that because i know it's going to grow from that point and cut it off there you go all right so anyway we solved that issue but we have the fact that uh richard in southwest utah where it's only five degrees cooler than las vegas which gets to 120 degrees in the summertime uh i'm wondering and those trees are going to have full sun all day long is there really a concern about north south or east or west yes there could be 
the times I've approached this subject is when we talk about orienting a greenhouse. And the uh, scientific studies that have looked at this, so you want the goal being to orient it so that you get uh, enough sun or as, or the most sun year round. And the, the studies that have looked at this say that the greenhouse should be oriented east to west. And it's because there will be some shade from plant to plant in the summer when it's very hot. Las Vegas gets very hot, so so does southwest Utah. But in winter, when the sun is in the southern hemisphere much more than it is overhead, then all the plants will get some sun in, in winter. However, with a growing row of trees, that east to west orientation is going to result in a lot more growth on the first plant out of the, at either end, on the east end and on the west end. Mm-hmm. So that maintenance will be required. If you let that plant grow much bigger than the others, then your summer production will be decline on the plants in the middle. Because the sun is in the south. Uh, well, in the summer, the sun is overhead more. Yeah. And so the, the, the eastern plant gets more sun, then it's overhead, everybody gets sun, then the sun goes to set and the western plant gets more sun. So for those, those two plants may grow uh, more vigorously. So you might want to put your more dwarf plants on either end like that. For those of you listening in Australia, never mind. Yes, really. This is <laughs> north of the of the equator. Yes. All right. So then you are espousing uh, situating fruit trees to run north-south. No, actually. <laughs> I know I said that before, but I just did a little research. Uh, and thought about the greenhouses at ARC. <clears throat> American River College, yes. Right, which we we figured out were oriented correctly, except for one of them. So east-west is actually the, the scientifically recommended direction for a greenhouse. And I'm translating that to plants. Uh, and I don't have... I have experience. I've experienced growing a cherry tree that was grafted to three different cultivars. And... The east and west side grew the most, and the the one that was on the south actually really was struggling. I had to pay a lot of attention to pruning the uh, cultivars on the east and west side of of this single tree so that the the one on the south got enough sun, uh, which doesn't seem logical, but that's how it worked. And with greenhouses, it's it at almost all latitudes, east-west is the recommended orientation so that the all the plants get or, or that the greenhouse gets enough sun in the winter if these are deciduous trees that may not be critical <clears throat> okay so basically uh, orient your fruit trees to in, in all considerations uh, so that they're not casting shade onto the rest of your garden right i think ultimately it doesn't matter he should orient them the way that's going to work best in his landscape that he can get to them for pruning uh, that the irrigation works, you know, there are all kinds of fences and houses and other plants in the garden to consider. And I think I would use those, that input, to come up with the best that works for his landscape. Oh, okay, we made it easy. My concern then is keeping fruit trees alive in a climate where summertime temperatures will easily get to 110. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, well, you better use a lot of mulch. Right. Irrigation and mulch, yes. And sometimes afternoon shade, depending on what plant you're looking yeah. at. Sometimes afternoon shade can be beneficial uh, for fruit trees or for a vegetable garden if you're in a really hot location. Good luck, Richard. 
orient those fruit trees, whichever suits your fancy or that your wife approves of your choice. <laughs> yes. All right. Debbie Flower. Oh, once again, thank you for helping us answer some garden questions. Always fun to do it. Thank you. Warmer weather means that fruit trees and berry bushes will soon spring to life with the promise of tasty, nutritious, fresh fruit for you and your family. So what are you waiting for? A website with more information? Okay, you've got it. It's tomorrowsharvest.com, your go-to site for a complete line of backyard fruit trees and bushes. Tomorrow's Harvest fine line of fruit trees is the result of 75 years of developing, testing, and growing. Three generations of the Birchall family have been at the forefront of research and development of plants of the highest quality, and all of these beautiful edible plants have been carefully cultivated for your home garden. Look for Tomorrow's Harvest fruit trees at Better Retail Nurseries. And if your favorite nursery doesn't carry any of Tomorrow's Harvest fruit, nut, and berry varieties, you can order them directly from Tomorrow's Harvest. And when you order them online, they come in plantable paper pots ready for you to stick directly in the ground, pot and all. Let the Birchall family's three generations of experience take root in your home orchard, landscape and garden. Tomorrow's harvest. It's goodness you can grow. If you want to find out more about their nutritious and delicious fruit and nut varieties, visit tomorrowsharvest.com. Late April and early May is a good time for planting many easy-to-grow vegetables from seed. That includes carrots, corn, cucumbers, eggplants, radishes, summer squash, and winter squash. Now, of course, it all depends where you live. If you live in a colder climate, it might be closer to Mother's Day or even the 1st of June that you might be doing this. Well, after everybody gets their seeds in, there's a problem. Because the emerging plants are small, many gardeners don't have the heart to thin them out to their proper spacing. The result? An undersized crop, greater incidence of pests and diseases, or too much of a good thing. For instance, squash, like zucchini. That's a perfect example. Now, if you've planted zucchini before, you know what I'm talking about. But how many of you have actually read the instructions on a seed package on how to plant zucchini? Well, here's the instructions found on a burpee seed packet. It says, sow one to two seeds of zucchini about 36 inches apart. Cover with one inch of fine soil. Firm lightly and keep evenly moist. Zucchini seedlings emerge in 10 to 14 days. Thin to one plant when seedlings have two sets of leaves. Well, I'm here to tell you that even hardened backyard farmers like myself tend to ignore those spacing instructions, let alone just keeping one zucchini plant. But every year it happens... Overwhelmed gardeners go on midnight runs during August, surreptitiously placing bags of oversized zucchini on neighbors' front porches. The bottom line, basically, is read and follow all planting instructions. They aren't kidding. Thinning also applies to your backyard deciduous fruit trees. If you live in a climate that allows you to grow apples, peaches, nectarines, plums, apricots, plum apricots, sometimes called pluots, and a lot more... Well, they need a bit of tough love this month as well, and that's thinning the fruit. Now, it might break your heart to remove most of those future edibles in April or May. 
However, leaving six inches or more of space between each piece of fruit now will result in larger fruit and less stress on your trees this summer. You won't have to worry about broken branches that are going to start sagging and probably breaking as the overcrowded fruit gets heavier and heavier. Moreover, because of the lack of crowded and rubbing fruit, the remaining fruit is going to have better exposure and will ripen more evenly. The good news is there's plenty of food-producing backyard vines, shrubs, and trees that don't require crop thinning. Because of their small size, for example, cherries aren't usually thinned from backyard trees. Other small-fruited plants like blueberries, strawberries, blackberries, raspberries, they don't require fruit thinning. However, they may need their older wood or runners removed annually after harvest. If you live in a climate that allows you to grow nut crops like almonds and walnuts, they don't need thinning. And if you live where you can grow citrus trees, oranges, lemons, mandarins, limes, and other fruit-bearing evergreen trees, they don't usually require much fruit thinning either. And one more final tip, if you want to suppress weeds, moderate soil temperature, preserve soil moisture, add several inches of an organic mulch beneath all your fruit trees to conserve precious soil moisture. And what's nice, too, as that mulch breaks down, it feeds the soil. But don't let that mulch touch up against the trunk of the tree. You can spread it throughout the entire understory of the tree, but keep it about two to three inches away from the trunk to avoid rotting issues. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday and is brought to you by Smart Pots. It's available just about anywhere, and that includes Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. And for Northern California gardeners, it's the Green Acres Garden Podcast with Farmer Fred. It's available also wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. And thanks for listening.